We'd love to have you come out and worship with us here at Grace Church. We are located at 4052 Arno Road, just south of Nashville, about 15 minutes here in Franklin, Tennessee. I do want to remind those who are watching by the internet especially, but also for you who are here today, that the old post office downtown Franklin was closed down, been a post office for almost 200 years, and they have closed it down. I suspect money and politics had something to do with it, but at any rate, if you write to us now, you have to use a new P.O. box. Are we able to put that up there on the screen? There it is. Before, you wrote to either P.O. Box 1185 or 133. Simple numbers. Now you got a six-digit post office box. P.O. Box 682986. And the zip code is different. It's 37068. So address all correspondence, communication, anything else like that to that post office box, 682986, Franklin, Tennessee, 37068. Trying to remind everybody about that, I've written a lot of people because we have some, some folks that live in other states, friends of ours that love the word and love the church here and love the gospel, consider themselves to be part of it, and they send very faithful, consistent gifts to this church to help in this work, and we certainly want them to have the new, the new P.O. box. We're glad to see all of you here today. I'm especially glad to see my, uh, my son and his family. They've been ill for a couple of weeks. Some of the rest of you uh, have probably been ill also, and we remember today, as will be mentioned to you, we remember uh, Brother Lee Barton, Brother Ed Adamowicz, Pastor Gary Scott, who lost his wife of 53 years, and others who have been ill. Remember them before the Lord. We're going to begin this morning with singing a hymn of praise to the Lord, and Brother Joshua Waltz will lead us. Good morning, everybody. Number 186 in your hymnal, please. If you'd like to use it, it might be helpful for you if you don't know it. 186. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by spirit and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. <coughs> Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. And to one hope she presses, every grace endue. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, 
She waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with a vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Oh, happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with We like to start the service with the reading of Scripture and prayer, and Brother Larry McKnight to start the worship service with Scripture and prayer. Brother McKnight is going to do that for us this morning. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. Reading this morning from Isaiah from the King James Chapter 55, verses 6 through 11, a crisp message from the Lord. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the uprighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. And so is my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Shall we pray together, please? Our fathers, we start this service this morning. I am so thankful that I can come and I can hear about you from our pastor. I can hear the, the singing of all of our voices, this fellowship of believers. It is good, and I pray that you would be with us today. I need a cheerleader today myself, Lord, to spur me on, and I pray that my pastor will speak as you have uh, given him the power to, the message that you have given him, and to minister to everybody within hearing. And of course, Lord, we praise your name today, but we also come to you for those who are sick, those who need help in many different ways, and we pray that, that you would minister to those, minister to the needs, Lord, that are deep in our heart. I pray that you be with everyone, all your servants today that are here but especially be with our pastor, Lord. Let the Spirit come through him 
that you will give him the message that we need to hear. We trust in you. And Lord, we know that in the first part of this, it said uh, to find the Lord while he is near. And Lord, you're always here. And we thank you, and we thank you for the means of that salvation. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, the one who was punished for us, who suffered for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. All right, hold on, sir. Hold on just a second. <laughs> I think I just told Brother Joshua we're going to have some announcements at this time. Brother Horton is going to come up and make announcements. All right. Good morning. I want to add my welcome to that of the pastors to the Grace Church services at Franklin. I want to thank all of you for being here. And if there's any first-time visitors that are here with us today that have not had an opportunity to sign our register located in the foyer, we ask that you would do that, that we might have a record of your attendance. We also want to lift up prayer requests. Dale and Shannon are traveling again for one more week. They return home next Sunday and ask for you to pray on their behalf. We want to lift up Shannon Hazelwood's stepfather, Clyde Paragon, who is undergoing some tests for some abdominal pain that he's been experiencing. As our pastor mentioned, we certainly want to lift up Lee Barton and his wife, Judy. The uh, Lord continues to sustain Lee, and maybe it's pleasing unto him to deliver him. So we ask that that be the case and that they would, he would minister to their needs uh, as he has been so pleased to do so. We also want to remember Ed Adamowitz and for his wife, Brenda. Ed has been undergoing some chemo treatments for this cancer of his stomach, and he's going to soon have surgery, I understand, so let's be in prayer for that as well. We also want to pray for Tom Estes. He has been having some heart-related issues and asked for the church to pray for him. We're glad to see Marie Dalton here with us today. We want to continue to lift her up before the Lord. For David Simmons, who is diagnosed with kidney cancer, let's don't forget him. Continue to lift up Sue Martin. We continue to, as our pastor said, pray for Pastor Gary Scott, who not only lost his wife of 53 years recently, but suffered a stroke uh, just before that. So let's remember him before the Lord. And also, as he tries to care for his special needs son, Gary Scott Jr., let's remember that family. Shirley Murphy is not here today. She had fallen recently and believes she's home recovering from that. So let's continue to remember her. Also for Carolyn Batt, Gladys Alquist and her son, Paul Osborne and his wife, Diane, Shirley Murphy's sister, Brenda Fay, and of course, we don't want to forget Howie Smith, who is serving in our military. I also uh, discovered this morning that Howie has <clears throat> found interest in a young lady there and started a relationship, so Becky asked prayer for that. <clears throat> we also want to remember all of the devastation and the loss of life that's happened out in Hawaii as a result of the wildfires. We do have some troops that are serving over there, as well as many others that are trying to meet the needs of those, that community. So let's be in prayer for that situation. <clears throat> we also want to remember Nathan Smith, who is a candidate for this biotic arm, robotic arm, I guess is, I should say. And they're going to start perhaps with a bionic sleeve. Uh, so let's just remember uh, Nathan as he goes through this process that uh, the Lord might make a way for him to regain use of that uh, arm. So let's remember them. And there's going to be other prayer announcements that I've not 
been made aware of, let's just always remember to pray for those of Grace Church, those who are listening via the internet, especially that the Lord would minister to our needs here in this place and that we might be a testament to all those whom he causes to cross our path in our walk with him. Thank you. It's a good thing we're not in a football game because I would have gotten an, an offsides penalty for that one. I think I misunderstood Brother Bill. It's, uh, let's see, 132 in the hymnal, everybody. Can we stand? I told you guys at Easter that I realized that this was a hymn we should be singing all year, not just at, at Resurrection Sunday. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always there. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see His loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that He is leading through all the stormy blasts. The day of His appearing will come at last. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ our King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Yeah, can we get an amen to that? Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. I think I'll turn it over to Brother Bill, and we'll just let him decide whether or not you're going to stay standing or not. <laughs> Good to see all of you today. You can just remain standing this morning and open your Bibles 
to Genesis chapter 30, if you will, Genesis chapter 30. I have something up here addressed to Larry McKnight. I'll put that right there, Larry. I want to say uh, we had a dear friend who kind of worships with us by the internet, and she wanted to be a blessing to this assembly. And her name is uh, Phoebe Pace, and she's up in New York. And uh, she gave us this piano over here. But she hadn't seen that piano in a while. And when we got it here, it's just not playable. And we've looked at uh, trying to repair it. I don't think it's feasible to repair it. So we're working on trying to get another, another piano. Lynn and I want to still sing while we can still breathe. We're getting too old to do much more than croak, at least me. I think she can still sing. But I don't like asking Sister Sue to have to get up off the piano. I don't like that. Uh, she does a fantastic job. So we're going to try to put another piano over here. And I'll do my little kaplunky thing on it. And Sue can play along with the rest of the musicians. I'm going to read the scripture and then we're going to sing our appeal to the Lord, I lift my hands to thee. Okay, now if you'll look in Genesis chapter 30, I know we're in chapter 43, but look in Genesis chapter 30. And we read in verse 1, when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. And she said, give me children, or I will die. I will die if you don't give me any children. We know that later on in the book of Genesis that Joseph had some dreams. And when he told his dreams to his brothers... It says they envied him too. Look in Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. He dreamed two dreams. And we won't read all of those verses. But here was the result of the dreams found in verse 11. Genesis 37 verse 11. His brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. So when we get over to chapter 43, where we've been for a while, we're going to be moving on probably after this study, or maybe one more. We find that Joseph is the governor of Egypt, and uh, he is... Uh, incognito with his brothers, they do not realize that their brother Joseph, that they envied and hated, has been exalted to the governorship of Egypt. And so they come before him. Thank you, Brother Foster. They come before him. And uh, as the dream that he had signified, they bowed before him. They stood before him on 
two occasions. This is the second trip to Egypt. And on both of those occasions, they bowed down to Joseph, thus fulfilling the dreams is that the Lord had given unto him. So last week I introduced you to the idea of envy and jealousy, and this week we're going to continue that theme. Let's appeal to the Lord for his help this morning to give us an understanding spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that understand, and uh, give us souls that want to see him glorified. So let's sing this unto the Lord. Father, I lift my hands, okay? Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. If I withdraw myself from thee, there shall I go. you may be seated. You may be seated. Now in our last study, I defined for you envy, and I showed you the difference between envy and jealousy. In some of your translations, where it's translated envy by some Bibles, it'll be translated jealousy because they are so closely related. The difference is that jealousy makes us feel threatened by the person or the thing that we envy. Envy is a, an ancient enemy of God and of God's people. The Scripture tells us in the story of Joseph many lessons we learn a lot of lessons. But the thing that I emphasize here over and over and over again, and I know some of you, I hope you don't get tired of hearing it. You know the children of Israel got tired of that manna. <laughs> God gave them manna from heaven, and they got tired of it. Don't get tired of it, of any truth that's in the Scripture. But the thing that I emphasize over and over again, and I hope to tell you a little bit about why, is what we call the sovereignty of God. If I ask you a question like this, if you had a company, if you came up with the idea of a company, it was your own company, and you formed it, you organized it, you structured it, and you put it into operation, if I should ask you, how would you run that company? What would you say? Well, most people would say, I would run it according to my own input. In other words, I would run it 
like I wanted to because it's my company. Well, this is God's world. And he runs it like he wants to. That's the best definition I can give you right now of sovereignty. It means that God is in charge. Now, I hear a lot of people say God's in charge, but once I listen to him a little while, I don't think they really believe he's in charge. They believe he's partially in charge. There's certain things he's not in charge of, but we believe that God is in charge of everything. Now, I may not be able to finish this lesson this morning, but I'm going to show you at least that he's in charge. He's in charge of the dreams that Joseph had. He's in charge of fulfilling those dreams in spite of opposition. He's in charge even of those who oppose him and who fight against his will being done. I have told you and I will tell you again that the God of the Bible created the world for a purpose. We read in Isaiah 45, he created it not in vain. That means, number two, that everything and everyone in the world has a purpose. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. There is a time for every purpose and for every work. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 17. The purpose of all things in the world, in one way or another, is to serve the eternal purpose of God. He said in Isaiah, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. I have spoken it, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Now, it should go without saying, but since God is sovereign over all things, he is able to use all things to fulfill his purpose on earth and in the earth. Now, he can either be the first cause of an event, that is, he can cause it himself to happen, or he can employ what we call secondary causes. He can permit other things, other persons, even other spirits to cause things to happen. But be sure that nothing happens without him. A sparrow cannot fall to the ground and a hair cannot fall from your head says our Lord Jesus Christ, without your heavenly Father. And as we have been considering in our Tuesday evening studies, at least for the last couple of Tuesday evenings, men are free moral agents. Every human being is endowed with the power of volition. That is, we have the ability to make decisions. So the sovereignty of God does not do away with the responsibility of man. Men make decisions. They are responsible for their decisions. And yet at the same time, the will of God, as far as his sovereign purpose is concerned, will be successfully carried out.
Now, God made certain promises in the Garden of Eden, and those promises were repeated to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And to fulfill those promises, it will be necessary for the descendants of Abraham to move down into Egypt. That is, God had purposed that Israel would move down into Egypt where they would remain for 430 years. That is a long time. We haven't been a nation yet. We're right at 250. 430 years, they would be in Egypt under the dictatorship of the Egyptian pharaohs. That's what the Lord had purposed. So the Lord has to get the descendants of Abraham down into Egypt. And so what is he going to use to accomplish that? How is he going to get them there? He's going to use the unlikely instruments of envy and jealousy. In our last study, we saw that envy and jealousy played a major role, that envy and jealousy probably began, became a reality before human beings were put on the earth in the rebellion of Lucifer against God, the one we call the devil and Satan, the enemy of God and God's people. And I want you to get hold of this now. You may have to go back and listen to this again. But it is the height of irony, the height of irony, that the Lord would use the very same attitudes which caused all the problems in this world to fulfill his purpose in ridding the world of those problems. Let me break that down just briefly and quickly. The Bible teaches that Lucifer was envious and jealous of God. He said, I will be like the Most High. Isaiah chapter 14. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I don't like being given orders. I don't like being subservient to someone else. I want to be independent. I want to do my own thing. And the Scripture teaches, we believe, that he led a third of the angelic host in that rebellion against God. You read about that, part about it, in Revelation chapter 12. So he was envious and jealous of God, his sovereignty, his position, the glory that he couldn't share in. And he rebelled against God. And what do you think he's going to use when he comes down to human beings that God put on the earth? He's going to use the same instruments of envy and jealousy. 
He said to Eve, can you eat of every tree of the garden? Oh, we can eat of every tree except one, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can't eat of that. If we eat of that tree, we shall surely die. First thing he did was he called God a liar. He said, you won't die. And here's the deal. He knows, God knows, that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God. You'll be like God. Same thing that caused his fall. I'll be like the Most High. You'll be like God if you'll just do your own thing. Don't pay any attention to God. Just stake out your own independence and do your own thing, and you'll see that you'll be like God. You'll have the power of making your own decisions for yourself without any help from Him. Same thing he used with Adam and Eve. He employed the insidious sin of envy and jealousy. Don't you want to be like God? You think God ought to be the only one that has all this power? You think God ought to be the only one that can make the decisions? What do we hear today from a lot of, a lot of ignorant young women that have gotten themselves pregnant or whatever. This is my body. This is my body. Well, I I hate to tell you this, but the Scripture says you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and the one that made you is God Almighty. And we're going to give an account for our bodies. If we're not in Christ, we're going to give an account for everything that we've done to our bodies and against our bodies. And not just those young women, but there are people everywhere that are saying, I am my own boss. I am my own God. I am my own Lord. I don't have to listen to anybody else. Don't talk to me about Jesus. Don't talk to me about this thing called the gospel. Don't talk to me about the Word of God. I think I told you years ago I had a next-door neighbor who was a professor. He was an intellectual, and he wanted to talk to me about some ultimate things. And when I sat down with him at his table, I had my Bible. And when I sat down, he reached down and put his hand on my Bible and slid it away and said, I want you to answer some questions without referring to that. Well, we can give some philosophical answers to some of these questions of what we call ultimate reality, but they are not going to satisfy your heart. The only thing that will really satisfy is the answer given in God's Word. So the devil employed the insidious sins of envy and jealousy in furthering his war of rebellion against God when he successfully tempted those who were to take his place on earth, the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. Now back to the question, how's the Lord going to get Israel into Egypt? And we already know the answer. He's going to use envy and jealousy. I showed you last week. 
And we read it a moment ago from Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, that that envy began in Rachel when she couldn't bear any children. She envied her sister. Leah had one child after another. She had four children. Then Rachel said, well, I'll let my maid bear children for me. Her maid, Billa, had two children. And then Leah said, well, I too can play that game. I'll let him have my maid. And Zilpah had two children. And the whole time Rachel was barren. Then finally Leah had two more sons. And then Rachel had her son Joseph. And I tried to show you that the envy of Joseph's brothers began in this war between their mothers. That's where it began. You know, one mistake all parents make, I certainly made it. I, make, I made it with my son, and I, I, I'm making it now with my wife. And that is, I talk out sometimes to the TV and say what I think about things. <laughs> and what happens when you do that enough, they develop that same attitude. <laughs> they develop the same attitude that you demonstrate. Well, that's what happened with Leo and Rachel. Even the very names, I didn't have time to go into a lot of it, but even the very names of their sons show the battle they're having against each other. Well, all of this, I believe, behind all of this is the enemy of the souls of men and the enemy of God. He goes back to that promise in Genesis 3.15 where the Lord said to him, I'm going to send a man one day. We'll call him the seed of the woman. And he's going to crush your head. And Lucifer knew from that moment that there was a man coming that was going to be his undoing. And so the rest of history as far as wars and conflicts and envy and jealousy and coveting and lying and stealing and all of this stuff, all of that can be explained with the enemy of God bringing rebellion against God, which he started in heaven because he was envious and he was jealous. And he brought it down to the earth. My friends, envy and jealousy are dangerous attitudes of the heart and of the mind. It's likely that there would not be a devil if it were not for envy and jealousy. Certainly, if Lucifer had not fallen, there would have been no tempter in the Garden of Eden, and the human race would not have fallen. The fact that the Lord meant for good what was intended for evil is no reason not to guard against those evils. So we've got these twin sins, envy and jealousy. What does the Scripture say about envy and jealousy? That's quite a bit. <laughs> Listen just a moment. You can write these passages down. Go back and check them out if you want to. Psalm 37, 1, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity. 
Psalm 73, verse 3, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here, the Scriptures tell us that we're going to have, we're going to be tempted to envy a lot of wicked people who are nonetheless successful. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 31, Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. You have two warnings here. It says, don't fret because of them, and don't be envious of them. Why? Because if you envy them, you may be persuaded to imitate them, so you can have what they have. And many who profess Christ in this generation, many professing Christians have grown tired of waiting on the Lord. And they see wicked people everywhere who have everything the world has to offer. And so they brought this into the gospel and they're saying, God wants you to have everything you want. God wants you to have your heart's desire in terms of the world. Jesus is just waiting to give them to you. When the Lord was tempted by the devil, let me read it to you. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. The devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. This is Luke, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And the devil said to him, All this power I will give thee, And the glory of them showed him the kingdoms of the world. I will give thee all this power and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. The devil is the God of this world. You read that in 1 John also. He was given this world. But he wasn't a good steward of it. And he rebelled, and God put man here to do what the devil didn't do. And the Lord said to man, you go and have dominion over the earth now. You have dominion over the earth. You subdue it. You be my viceroy, my representative. You do it for the glory of my name. And so the devil said, I'll stop that. So he came down and tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God. So he could put them out of business so they could legitimately be the ones who are to dominate uh, dominate the world. So when he came to the Lord Jesus Christ, after Christ had been hungered for 40 days and 40 nights, he'd been fasting, he said to him, you shouldn't be hungry, you should be full. You shouldn't be rejected, you should be accepted and applauded. You shouldn't be insignificant. You should be ruling the kingdoms of this world. And I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you the world and its glory. If you'll just listen to me. Don't you envy all those men out there that have the world and have the glory and have the money and have the profit and have the applause and have the world at their feet? Don't you just envy them? Wouldn't you like to have what they have? But now we're told if you can't get it the other way, you just get it through Jesus Christ. We're told that he died to make you rich. He died to make you prosperous. He died to make you have, make you wealthy. 
And all those preachers that say that don't say one thing about sin and depravity and rebellion against God and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. All they talk about is God giving you, listen to me now, God giving you what every unregenerate heart already wants by nature. That's all unregenerate people want. They want as much of the world as they can get. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Isn't this what's happening to young people today? They see stars of Hollywood. They see them on television. They see multitudes, hundreds of thousands of people basically worshiping them. Do you think that we call people who are in music in Hollywood my idol for nothing? <laughs> That's exactly what they are. These concerts are nothing more than worship services. Everybody do it raising their hands. You can't get people to raise hands in church. But they'll raise hands when somebody else, Taylor Swift or somebody else is there. They'll raise their hands hand, boy. Or Madonna or... Can't think of any of the men right now, but there's plenty of them too. <laughs> and they want what they have. They want that. You know why? Listen, if the Lord Jesus Christ comes into your life, you'll be filled. You'll be filled and you'll be fulfilled. But without him, you'll be empty. You can get as much money as you want, as much power as you want, as much glory as you want, and you'll never be fulfilled. Because he made you for himself, and you'll never have peace until you rest in him. You never have it. The scriptures warn us not to love the world or the things in the world, because the world is passing away with all the lust of the world. The love of the Father is not in the one who loves the world. 1 John two fifteen through 17. And the way we should know when a preacher or a teacher, so-called of Christ is an agent of the devil is when he offers you everything that unregenerate hearts already want, riches and glory and adulation and power. And then the Son of God becomes only a footnote. They teach you about all this other stuff, and just at the end of the broadcast, they say, now, we never like to close our service without offering you a chance to make Jesus your Lord. You just throw that in there right at the end, you know. Hadn't told you anything about Jesus. Hadn't told you anything about who he is or what he's done or why he came or where he is now. But you just throw that in at the end. Now, we'd like to give you a chance to make Jesus your Lord. Well, God already made him Lord. He beat you to it. He was born Lord. He lived in this world Lord. When he died on the cross... He was the Lord. When he was buried, he was the Lord. He rose again as the Lord. He ascended into heaven as the Lord. He's seated at the right hand of all power right now as the Lord of glory. You can't make him Lord. You can't make him Lord. And you should know, you should, your, your antenna should go up when you hear a preacher or a teacher offering you everything that unregenerate hearts want. And nothing, telling you nothing, virtually nothing about the Son of God. No mention of sin, no mention of repentance, no mention of depravity, no mention of biblical faith. During the message, but at the end, we'll throw a little Jesus in. 
But the writers of Scripture says, don't fret because of these persons who look like they're successful because they're going to all be destroyed unless the Lord brings them to a saving knowledge of himself. Listen to this, Psalm 37, verse 2, speaking of the workers of iniquity, the wealthy that don't know the Lord, that shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Psalm 37, David said, I have seen the wicked in great power spreading himself like a green bay tree. And I kept looking, and he passed away, and he was not. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. Because the Lord took him out. The Lord is often long-suffering to vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans chapter 9. And I almost hesitate to open this up because I'm not going to have time to really exegete it or open it up really this morning as it deserves but I do want you to read it and then you can go back and do a little reading and studying on your own about what is meant here Romans chapter 9 is the chapter and by the way we have uh we have pew bibles in the pews there for those of you who do not have a bible grab a pew bible and see if you can find the book of Romans you can look in the uh, uh, beginning of the Bible, in the uh, directory there to tell you, where, where you what page it's on. But Romans chapter 9, he deals with Abraham and Isaac in verse 7. He deals with the Jews back up in verse 1 through 4. He said they, they may be... Jews, but they, not, they don't all belong to the Lord. Verse 7, he says, Neither because they are in the seed, the seed of Abraham are they children of God, but in Isaac shall the seed be called. That is, verse 8, They which are of the children of the flesh, those who are Jews after the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. This is the word of promise. Verse 9, at this time I'll come and Sarah shall have a son. Who's Sarah? Sarah was the wife of Abraham. You remember God told Abraham, you're going to have a son, and he and Sarah got tired of waiting. She got tired of waiting. So she said, well, you, you go into my maid Hagar, and I'll have children through her. And they did that, and the boy was named Ishmael, but God came back to Abraham and said, No, 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 the boy you're going to have is the one I promised, the one I'm going to give you. And I'm going to do it through Sarah. You see, that's what's meant by, in verse 8, of the last part of verse 8, the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Those that God promised. This is the word of promise. Verse 9, I will come and Sarah, your wife, though she'll be 90 years old, she will have a son. And then Rebekah. Rebekah is the wife of Abraham's son Isaac. And he said, here, the children were not even born yet. In verse 11, they hadn't done any good or any evil. So God's not going to say this based on anybody doing any good or somebody doing something wrong. 
But he's doing it, verse 11, that the purpose, there's that word again, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said to the oldest one, it was said to her, the oldest one will serve the youngest one. The eldest shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. That doesn't mean he just hated him with a, as an enemy, but it means he passed him by. He's not the one through whom he's going to work. He's going to work through Jacob. So then the question comes up, is there unrighteousness with God? Verse 14. People say what that means. Let me interpret that for you. Is that fair? Well, I tell you this, fairness is equal to justice. And if God's fair with us, we're all going to hell. If we get justice, and brother, I don't want justice. I want mercy. And the only one place you can find mercy, and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you come to him, he has promised you mercy. But out of him, you can expect nothing but judgment and for God to be fair with you. Justice. So it goes on to say, I want you to know something. The answer to that question, is this right? Is this fair? Is there unrighteousness with God? He answers the question, verse 15. He said, I will have mercy. God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I decide who gets mercy, and I decide who gets compassion. So, verse 16, it's not of him that wills, it's not the will of man, it's not of him that runs, it's not the works of man, but it's of God that shows mercy. He goes on to say, God raised up Pharaoh, verse 17, for the purpose of glorifying himself by showing his power to overthrow Pharaoh and deliver the children of Israel from Egypt, who had been there for 430 years. Verse 18, he concludes, therefore he has mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will, he hardens. He delivered Israel and had mercy on them. He judged Egypt and put wrath on them. So then the question comes up, well, why does he find fault? Verse 19, who has resisted his will? He answers this question, who are you to question God? Verse 20. Who are you to question God? What if you picked up a coffee cup in the morning and all of a sudden that coffee cup began to talk to you and said, what are you doing picking me up? I don't want to be your coffee cup this morning. Pick up some other coffee cup. Well, that's what he says right here. He says, does the potter, verse 21, does the potter have power over the clay from the same lump? He'd make one beautiful coffee pot and one ugly coffee pot, one to honor, one to dishonor. This refers to the things in your house, the things of honor. you got your silver plates and your silver trays and so on that you use and pull out when you have special guests over. And then when you have me over there, you pull out your styrofoam stuff, you see. See what I'm saying? <laughs> That's vessels of honor and dishonor. You can use them like you want to for whomever you please. And that's what he's saying here. He says, look, God made everything, and he can use it like he wants to. Okay? Now, here's the statement that I want you to see. You'll have to go back and study this one. 
Verse 21, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump? You got one big lump of clay, and he, he reaches in, and he takes out some of that clay, and he makes one vessel unto honor, and he takes the other clay, and he makes the vessel unto dishonor. Okay? Now watch this now. What if God, verse 22, willing to show his wrath, we, we talk about him willing to show his mercy, willing to show his grace. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known to destroy, endured, put up with, was long-suffering, was patient with the vessels of wrath which are fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had before prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He says that God often puts up with people that he knows they will never repent. He knows they will never change. He knows they will never call on him. He knows that they don't want anything to do with him. But he puts up with them. He's long-suffering with them. He's patient with them. He lets them gain wealth. He lets them gain glory. He lets them get applause. But they are fitted for destruction. So you don't want to be envying those people. Because they're going to be gone in a little while. But the saints of God will live on forever, worshiping and praising him who had mercy on them. The Lord will be glorified in his wrath, and he will be glorified in his mercy. His holiness and his justice will be glorified in his wrath. His grace will be glorified in his mercy. This is a frightful thing. I admit that he often allows those who do not love him to prosper. Why? Well, two reasons he might allow them to prosper. Number one, to test us when we say we love him. And number two, as an example to those who follow after them. There are very few folks, I say this to you young people, or you older people should know it, but there are very few people who are applauded by the world, from Hollywood stars to music stars, very few of them, whose lives end well. Marilyn Monroe died at 36 years of age. The whole world worshipped Marilyn Monroe. Everybody wanted to be like Marilyn. Elvis Presley, he died at 42 years of age. Started out as a, they made fun of him in Hollywood when he first went to Hollywood because he still said yes ma'am and yes sir. And they made fun of him. But after a while, that world and that acclamation and that applause got to him, and he began to be, get bossy and get mean and get ugly and do what he wanted to do. And when God lets you have your way, you will kill yourself with it every time. Every time. 
died at 42. Here's what David said in Psalm 92, verse 7. When the wicked spring up as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. Psalm 92, verse 7. Let's move on. Envy and jealousy can impact your health. Did you know that? You stay up at night all night trying to figure out how you can be like so-and-so and how you can get this and how you can cut this deal and cut that and you can't sleep and you can't do anything. You're obsessed with it. It'll impact your health. Here's what Solomon said, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. <laughs> you know, a merry heart does good like medicine, right? It's good to laugh. It's good to laugh. That's good. It has a health benefit. But envy is the rottenness of the bones. Proverbs 24, verses 1 and 2, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them, for their heart studies destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Trying to figure out how they can get it, so they can have what everybody else had. The answer to that is Psalm 1, and maybe we need to stop here. Would you turn over to Psalm 1? Psalm chapter 1. Don't be envious of evil men. Don't desire to be with them. Envy is the rottenness of the bones. The answer to this is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, verse 1, that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly and does not stand in the way of sinners and does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Let me break that down for you. If you envy them, you will learn from them. If you learn from them, you will walk like them and talk like them. If you spend a lot of time talking with them, you will soon talk like them. If you walk with them, you will soon walk like them. In other words, you will become like them. He said it's the blessed person that doesn't walk according to the counsel, the advice of ungodly people or stand in the way of sinners, those who are openly, outwardly, don't care sinners or stand or sit in the seat of the scornful. Notice the progression there. First you're walking, you're walking with them, then you're standing with them, you're more stationary, and then you're sitting with them. You've become friends with them. He said, don't do it. How do you combat against that? Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Law can mean word, the word of God. Delight in the word of God. Read the scripture. Memorize the scripture. Study the scripture. Pray over the scripture. Lord, what does this mean? Help me to memorize your word. Get your word in, in me. So that I will be walking with you and talking with you and taking my advice from you and getting my counsel from you. And so I will have a guard against this ungodly generation. 
Then he goes on and talks about the prosperity that will come. You'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, verse 3. Everything that you do, the Lord will bless. You'll be consistent in the season. Your leaf won't wither. Whatever you do shall prosper. The Lord has a way of blessing you, but He is the one that blesses you, not because you're sitting up trying to figure out how it just falls in there. Look at old Joseph. Did he figure out how he was going to get to the throne of Egypt? No. He had to go through all kinds of trouble and all kinds of trial. He had to endure the envy of his brothers. He had to go through being sold to the Ishmaelites. He had to go through working with Potiphar and uh, resisting the temptations of Potiphar's wife. And then for resisting and doing right, what, what, what reward did he get? He was thrown in jail. <laughs> He's thrown in prison. And there he is in prison. But the Lord is over everything. So the Lord just causes the baker and the butler to have some dreams. He gives them some dreams. He gave Joseph the interpretation of those dreams. And the baker was hung, just like Joseph said he would be. And the butler was restored to bearing the Pharaoh's cup. And then he, didn't, he never opened his mouth. He, he, Joseph said, when you get to the Pharaoh, how about saying a word for me? He said, okay, brother, I'll do it. And when he got there, he never said a word. And I can't remember, but I think it was about two years or more that passed. So God just caused Pharaoh to have a dream. The Lord set it up so that the cupbearer who said he would remember, so that he would have to act because it'd be in his favor. And so he acted. He said, oh, to the Pharaoh, oh, yeah, I remember my thoughts this day. I was in jail with a guy. We had a dream. I had a dream, and the baker had a dream, and he told us our dream, and it came past just exactly like he said. The baker was hung. You remember that, Mr. Pharaoh? And I was restored. Here I am today. And that guy, he told us, Pharaoh said, call him. Call him. So you see, all of the envy of Joseph's brothers it started with the two women, Leah and Rachel. All of that, all of those temptations that were thrown at Joseph, from the hatred of his brothers to the covetousness of Potiphar's wife, all of that stuff, every bit of it, God used it to get Joseph where he said he was going to put him to begin with on the throne of Egypt, and he used the envy and the jealousy of his own brothers to put him on the throne. And listen now. He's going to use the envy and the jealousy that started with Satan in heaven. He used that to put his son on the cross. Now, I don't have time this morning, but I want you to turn to one more passage. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And God willing, next week, we're going to go through a bunch of passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And it's also found in Mark chapter 15. I'll try to 
read both of them to you. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the four Gospels. Chapter 27. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ before Pilate. Matthew 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, they've had Jesus up all night, beating him and ridiculing him. They took him and put him, took him to put him to death. And when they had bound him, verse 2, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius, Pontius Pilate. Okay? Then old Judas, who had betrayed him, went out and took the money back to the chief priest. They'd paid him some silver. And he took it back, verse 4. He said, I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. They said, what's that to us? That don't mean a thing to us, man. We used you to get Jesus, and we got him. We got him. Now listen now. They're getting Jesus. <laughs> it's all a part of the plan of God. He uses wicked people. He used the devil. He used... And he went out and hanged himself, verse 5. Okay? Now, verse 11, Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you said it. You said it. And when he was accused of the chief priest and the elders, he answered nothing. And the pilot said in verse 13, do you not hear all of these things? They're witnessing against you. But he answered him not a word, verse 14, insomuch that the governor was marveled. Man, this man is not going to defend himself at all. All right. So then they say to the Jews, it was a political move by the Romans to appease the Jews. And so each year, when they had the governor's feast, verse 15, they would release a prisoner, whoever they wanted to release. You know when a new president comes in, the old president, remember the old president can always pardon people. Usually the old president will pardon a bunch of folks that are in prison. That's kind of what this is. And so he said, who do you want? I don't have time to go into this, but this guy, Barabbas, did you know his name is Jesus? His name is Jesus. You got two Jesuses here. I'll explain that maybe another, another lesson. Would you, verse 17, did you want me to release Barabbas? Jesus, Barabbas? Barabbas who's called Jesus? Or do you want me to release Jesus who's called the Christ? Look at verse 7, 18 now. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. There it is again, envy. Who moved him with envy? The devil, who was moved with envy himself against God. Who moved Adam and Eve with envy? All those kings down through the Scriptures, all those kings that would slip up and murder somebody so they could be king, then they'd get murdered so somebody could be king. All of that was by the devil to stop anybody that might be the Messiah.
And it says the same thing in Mark 15 and verse 10. I'll read that to you. Mark chapter 15 and verse 10. The multitude, Mark 15, verse 6. Now at the feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, who was bound, who had made insurrection, who had also committed murder in the insurrection. Here's a man that's a murderer and an insurrectionist. And the multitude crying aloud, verse 8 began to desire him to do as he had always done, release a prisoner. And so Pilate said, okay, should I release unto you the king of the Jews? Verse 18, verse 10, verse 10. For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved the people that they should ask for the release of Barabbas. And he said, what should I do then with this Jesus, whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, verse 13, crucify him. Pilate said, what evil has he done? Verse 14, why? Why should he be crucified? What has he done? They cried out, the more exceedingly crucify him. So Pilate, verse 15, willing to content the people, Released the murderer unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Let me tell you something now. That Barabbas guy, that Barabbas, he represents you and me. He's the one that was a murderer and a liar and a thief and he's the one that ought to have been crucified. He got to go free and Jesus was crucified in his place. And brother, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. I tell you, envy started with the devil, came on down to the human race, and it's pretty strong today in this generation. But we are warned in the scripture, do not envy the ungodly. I'm not interested in how much power people have. I'm not interested in how much applause they have. I'm not interested in how much money they have. I say all the time, you can ask Lynn, I say all the time, when people, uh, when people die on TV, just had somebody famous here that passed away. And uh, if you ever watch the Sunday morning program, comes on Sunday morning, they always have a, a section in there called Passages. People that passed away since last week. And you'll have people who had money, who had power, but they hated God and they hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they die, the world applauds them and talks about what great people they were. And how they did this for these poor people and they did this for those poor people. And I always say this. Oh, my soul, I wouldn't be in their shoes for anything in the world. There's not enough money in the universe to put me in their shoes. They're going out to meet God. They don't even know, and they don't know his son. They don't care about his son. They don't care about his spirit. They don't care about his word. They want to do their own thing, and then when they 
die, they want to go to God's heaven. That'd be the worst thing God could do for you. You'd be unhappy in heaven. You'd be totally miserable in heaven. If you don't want anything to do with him now, you can't have anything to do with him then. May the Lord add his blessings on the teaching of his word. Friends, let's stand together. And let me say this to you. People, don't, they don't understand this narrative that I've tried to expose you to today. This, this theme that runs all the way from Genesis 3.15 when God promised the Messiah all the way down through Scripture and down through history. They don't understand that. And so a lot of times people will say, well, you know, how come God was so mean in the Old Testament and he was so tender and kind in the New Testament. I shouldn't say this now because it's going to make some of you. <laughs> but the Lord destroyed the world with a flood because the entire human race had been contaminated their DNA had been contaminated. They had been contaminated by evil and wicked spirits. Why were they contaminated by evil, wicked spirits? Because the Messiah has to be born of a 100% human being that hasn't been contaminated by wicked and evil spirits. And there wasn't but eight people. That's Noah, his wife. His three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their three wives. And everybody else the devil had gotten to. So when the Lord brought judgment on the world, it wasn't because he was mean and he was just killing people. He was preserving the human race so that out of the human race, a Messiah, a Savior could be born. You can't be born from some fellow that's demon-possessed or some woman that's demon-possessed once it happened. The whole world was polluted. And the Lord killed all those devils and those demons and those devil worshipers and demon worshipers, killed them all in order to preserve the promise that he made in Genesis 3.15. And he did it all the way down through history until his son was born of a virgin he lived his life, hung on a cross, died at about 33 years of age. Took him up into glory, and he's seated there until he saves everybody's going to save. Until all of his enemies are made his footstool. I'm willing to be his footstool, are you? You know what a footstool is? That's when you bow down, get down on your knees, and he puts his foot on your head. That's what the kings did. When they would conquer a people, they would bring the conquered king in, make him bow down, and in the face of all their people, they'd walk up and put their foot on his head while he's bowed down to the ground. They became a footstool. You willing to be Jesus' footstool? I am. That's why David said it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
I'm not worried about a position in heaven. I'm not worried about rewards. <laughs> It'll be reward enough for me if I'm there. Isn't that right? Sure. Let's get serious about worshiping the Lord. Let's get serious about seeking him because these are serious times. And this is why I'm teaching you like I'm teaching you, because I'm concerned and because I love you and because I want you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved by him. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the word of God that gives us hope. Thank you that in spite of envy and jealousy and all the rest of it, your will on earth will be done as it is in heaven. And we are thankful that we can say from our hearts that we want your will to be done in earth as it is done in heaven. We want your will to be done in our individual lives as, as it is done in heaven. Among the angels and among the souls of just men made perfect. Oh, Father, have mercy upon this untoward generation. Have mercy upon us. Send thy spirit. Come down and awaken us that we might seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray for his sake. Amen.